Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 32. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad you're here with us this weekend, whether you're here in the West service or you're over in East service or you're watching online. Thanks for spending some time with us. And if you're new, I'm so glad that you're here. I hope you have been made to feel welcome from the minute you got in the parking lot all the way to this moment. And I want you to know that you are in a very special place. Uh, Not because of me, that will become clear over the next 20 minutes or so, but because of the people. Uh, One of the things I love about this church, there are many things, one of the things I love is this is the most generous church I have ever been a part of. And I mean that in all kinds of ways, in the regular giving of the church, in, in giving to special initiatives like church planning or adoption, global missions. It just feels like every time we as staff come to you and say, hey, here's an opportunity, you step up. So two weeks ago, when we asked you to consider going out and getting a gift card for a family in Hudson whose home had burned down and they lost everything, mom, dad, two little boys, uh, you know, it is yet another ask of you. And I never know if at some point you're going to be like, listen, enough. But you never do. In fact, I have a picture up here of how you responded. I want you to know that last week we took in over $7,000 in gift cards. Isn't that awesome? And I know it can feel weird to clap if you gave a gift card, but you're clapping for everybody else who gave one, all right? And they're clapping for you. But I want you to know that that family that doesn't attend church here, uh, when the mom showed up this week to receive, just how blown away she was at your generosity, at the way you cared and loved for your neighbor so well. And of course, we know that's a manifestation of the love we have received through Jesus Christ. So I'm just proud of you. Great job. Thanks for stepping up the way you did. And who knows what other opportunities the Lord will put in front of us. We're going to continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible, would you take it out and open it up to Mark chapter 9, your phone, your tablet, your web browser, if you're watching online, Mark chapter 9. By the way, if you are new here and you don't, you didn't bring a Bible, you don't know your way around the Bible, again, so glad that you're here. Uh, There are Bibles here in the West service in the pew in front of you in East Hall in the back of the room, and they're the same Bibles I'm using, and that... That's on purpose. That way I can tell you that today's reading is on page 794. So if you can count, you can get there. You don't even need to know your way around the Bible. Just turn to page 794. And again, so glad that you're here. Thanks for taking that step to join us. But as you're getting there, let me hold out to you the outline I'm going to use to guide our time together. And I've worked, I've worked on making this one kind of catchy so it sticks in your brain because I really view this passage in many ways as a launch into the Easter season. You know, next week we have Palm Sunday, then Easter Sunday, and this passage is really getting us ready for that. So the three points I have for you go like this. I want to show you that the king knows, the king chose, and the king 
shows. Okay, the king knows, the king chose, and the king shows. All right, let's start with the first one. The king knows. Uh, you're going to notice right away as you look at these verses that what is really going on here, kind of the main idea happening here, is that Jesus Christ knows what is waiting for him. He knows where his story is headed. He just kind of in the passage stops and tells the disciples, hey, look, uh, here's where we're heading. I am going to be uh, arrested and I'm going to be killed and then I'm going to raise from the dead. This is what is coming. This is what is happening. This is what I know. And I want you to see the significance of this. Okay, This is really, really important to our understanding of Jesus. Because not only is he saying like, hey, uh, or I should say, it's not that he's saying, hey, I'm reading the tea leaves and my cultural popularity is dropping and, and the political headwinds are swirling and I think this is probably where we're headed. No, he's being specific. When he says that the Son of Man is going to be handed over, he means I'm going to be betrayed. That is a popular uh, biblical expression for betrayal. He's, he's saying, listen, one of you guys is going to betray me. That's how they're going to get me. And then when they get me, it won't matter how much protesting you do or how much fighting you do or how much arguing you do. They're going to kill me. And then it won't matter because three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. Jesus knows what is coming. And this is super important to our understanding of Jesus. And let me just unpack for you why. The first reason is because it is, it is an indication that he is God. This is really important. Jesus is not just another man. He's not just a prophet or a teacher, a social, political leader. He's not just a really good person who says really beautiful things. He is God in the flesh. Now, we've seen this a couple of times in the Gospel of Mark. But his knowledge about the future is meant to show us uh, there's something different about him. He knows what is coming. That's why, by the way, when he says all this at the end of the passage, the disciples are afraid because the, the clarity and the certainty with which he speaks about the future is something that none of us have and none of us can do. In fact, let me give you a metaphor. It's kind of like when you're watching a movie that has a major plot twist in it. Okay, so the whole movie, you're kind of gasping and, and, and when the big reveal comes, you're going, oh my goodness, I, I, I didn't know, I didn't see that, that coming. This is when you find out Bruce Willis has been dead, right? And, and you, you go, whoa, I didn't know, I didn't know. But imagine if you watch that movie a second time. It wouldn't catch you off guard, right? You, you wouldn't gasp the same way. You know what's coming. Imagine you watch that movie with someone who's never seen it. You would kind of be peeking out the corner of your eye to see how they're responding to the plot twist. When they get scared, you wouldn't. When they go, what, he's bad? You would just say, I know, right? Because, because you've seen it and they haven't. That's the difference between Jesus and us. We live in a, a life that is full of nonstop gasping moments, right? Where we, we didn't know that was going to happen. We didn't know that was coming, but not Jesus. 
That even when Jesus was on earth, fully God and yet fully man, he was like the author of the movie watching the movie with us. He knows the plot twists that are coming because he's God. Jesus knows what the future holds. He's God. But there's a second reason this is so meaningful, and I want you to understand, is that this is why it makes sense for Jesus to be your king. This is a theme we've been talking about in the Gospel of Mark, but I want you to understand, going to Jesus, surrendering your life to Jesus, seeking and welcoming the authority of Jesus in your life, isn't just about worship, it isn't just about obligation. Well, if he's God, I guess I owe it to him to listen to him. It is also about logic. Let me put it to you this way. How many things in life would you go back and do differently if you knew then what you know now? In the 830 service, there was a lot of head nodding when I said that. Right? That's something we resonate. If I only knew then what I knew, what, what I know now, I would do everything differently. I wouldn't take that job. I, I wouldn't go on that date. I wouldn't say no to that opportunity. Right? I'd stop at two kids, whatever it might be. <laughs> right? But that, that was hypothetical. That was not my life. Right? You, 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 you're saying, uh, I, I didn't know, I didn't know that this thing would lead to that thing, that this decision would produce that outcome. And of course, how can you, right? We're human. We, we don't know what the future holds. But running to Jesus with your life, saying to Jesus, what should I do, Jesus? What's good for me? What's best for me? Part of the reason we do that is because he does know He does know what the future holds. He does know that action A will lead to B and C and D. You see, that's part of why we seek the authority of Jesus. Because when Jesus says, this is bad for you and this is good for you, he's not being arbitrary. He's saying, as the author of the story, as the one who knows the ripple effect of every moral, ethical action, of every decision, he's saying, I know you can't see it, but this is bad for you. I know it doesn't feel this way, but this is good for you. I want you to understand the authority of Jesus is built on the logic of understanding that because he's God, he knows. He knows. It's also, by the way, built on the logic of your experience telling you, you don't know. And neither do I. Because we don't know what the future holds. Jesus knows. The king knows. He knows what is coming for him. He even knows that he's going to be betrayed. He knows that he's going to be arrested. He knows that he's going to be killed. And he knows what's coming in your life. So why wouldn't you go to him? Why wouldn't you welcome his authority? But it's also important that he knows what's coming in his story. And the reason why is my second point. I want you to see that because he knows what's coming, that means the king chose. The king chose. I want you to understand this, especially if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're watching online, you're not sure where you are with Jesus. I want to make sure that you you don't get him wrong in such a way that would lead to confusion. Jesus Christ is not a tragic figure. What I mean by that is throughout history, there are men and women who emerge from the pack to lead us, to speak truth to power, to take a stand in a meaningful moment. And oftentimes, their taking a stand results in their life being taken. 
They, they meet a violent end at the hands of people who want to shut them up, who want to control them, who don't want the status quo being threatened. And we celebrate these people, and oftentimes we should. They are heroic people who, at, who without worrying about what would happen to them, did what needed to be done, said what needed to be said. But the thing is, they didn't know it was coming. And that's part of what makes it tragic is their fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and sisters and brothers and, and they're trying to do what's right. But, but, but can you imagine if they had known the weight of that? But you see, Jesus did know. They didn't sneak up on him. Judas doesn't catch him off guard when he betrays him. Jesus knows, which means every step he takes towards the cross, he takes on purpose. This is so important. Every step he takes to the cross, he takes on purpose. Now, now this shouldn't surprise us because Jesus will often say things like, uh, they don't take my life from me, I give it. I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is very clear from the very beginning, I've come for a purpose and that purpose involves my death. But it, it, it tells us that everything that happens to, to Jesus he chooses. That means, that means, by the way, that every day he spent with Judas, he knew that Judas was going to betray him, and he did it anyway. That means the night he was praying in the garden, do you remember when he's sweating drops of blood and he's praying, not my will, but yours. He, he happened to be praying in the exact garden where they were looking for him so that he could be arrested. He knew these things. He chose these things. Maybe you see this most poignantly when Pilate says to him in the Gospel of John, don't you know I have the power over you for life or death? Don't you know I'm the Roman leader? It's up to me if you live or die. And Jesus says to him, the only power you have is the power God gives you. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, Pilate, you don't have any power. I have the power and I'm using it to lay my life down. The king knows, so therefore the king chose. So that begs the question, why would he choose? Well, the Bible tells us that his death is not accidental, it's intentional. It is, in fact, the plan of God. That in the Christian uh, understanding of the Trinity, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, that within God himself, there's collaboration towards a particular end. That Jesus Christ came to live a sinless righteous life, a life that you have not lived and I have not lived, so that on the cross, he might take on the sin of all the church and that, Jesus, and that God the Father would pour out onto Jesus his anger and his wrath and his judgment over our sin, so that in the words of Paul, he who knew no sin became sin. And he comes up under the judgment and anger and wrath of God, not unwillingly, but willingly, here, saying, I know what's coming. I know why I've come. I know what must happen. That he would die under the weight of that judgment, exhausting all the anger and wrath and judgment of God for the church. That he would raise three days later and say, if you will grab hold of me in faith, if you will allow me to speak on your behalf to God, that when God will do is take your sin and put it on me on the cross and take my righteous and sinless life and put it on you so that you can know you'd be loved and accepted and forgiven by God. That didn't happen accidentally. 
It, didn't, it isn't God making something good out of an otherwise bad situation. Jesus Christ chose that, moved towards that, embraced that as the reason why he had come. It's important to know this. So that even in a week and a half or so when we're celebrating Good Friday, there will, it will be somber in this room as we consider the death of Jesus. And it should be. Because Jesus' death is the byproduct of my sin and rebellion and yours before God. It ought not to have had to happen. And it should be somber. But we should never think of Jesus as an unwilling or unwitting participant. In fact, he was the only one who knew this is where the story was headed. Jesus Christ chose the path in front of him. That's so important, and here's why. Number three, it's what it shows us. The king not only knows, the king chose, and therefore the king shows. I want to give you three implications of this. In other words, if we begin to understand that, that Jesus knew what was coming and he chose what was coming, then what does that mean for us? Three things that I really think will change our lives and three things I think Easter is meant to produce in us. Number one, it means that God loves us. It means that God loves us. You see, if Jesus knew what was coming and was moving towards it, then it means that he wanted it to happen. But why would he want it to happen? And the answer is because it would be good for us. Jesus will say, no greater love has any man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus has come to rescue us. He knows his death and our rescue of, from God's judgment are inseparably linked. So he's come to die out of love for us. And the reason why this is so meaningful is because it means that every single day Jesus took a step towards the cross, he was doing it out of love for you and for me. Every meal he endured with Judas, praying in the garden knowing he was going to be arrested, being mocked, being beaten, be, being ridiculed, having to listen to Pilate, being crucified, having people say at his crucifixion, this can't be God, because if this was God, this wouldn't happen to him. He endures all of that out of his love for us. You see, the cross of Jesus gives us inescapable, unavoidable proof that God loves us. And the reason why that's so meaningful is because most of us move through life with crippling insecurity. Fifteen years of pastoral ministry and the counseling that I've been able to do, overwhelmingly what drives people to a pastor for counseling is dealing with their own insecurity or someone else's. It's the insecurity of knowing, am I good enough? Have I achieved enough? Will my spouse love me? Do they love me? Will my children grow up and love me? Does my life matter? Is my career going anywhere? All of this insecurity boiled up into this one question, am I loved? That's not only my experience in doing counseling, that's what drove me to counseling. That's why I sit with a counselor 
Because I, like you, deal with insecurity. That's the way we live in a broken world. But don't you see, the answer to that question, does anybody love me? Does anybody care? Is anyone out there? Is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's inescapable proof that as he moves towards the cross, he is doing it because it's what you need and it's what I need and he loves us. There may not be any other indication in your life that you are loved, but there is at least one overwhelming indication that God himself loves you. But here's the other thing. If what drove Jesus to the cross was my sin and yours, the things that we had done to alienate us from God, then that means that if, the, uh, if, we, if we aren't dealing with insecurity, but we're dealing with guilt and shame, we have to understand this. Every day Jesus moved to the cross, he knew he was headed there because you had messed up and because I had messed up, and he did it anyways. So even in our guilt and our shame, we think, well, well God, you, you might have loved me, but surely I've blown that. Surely I've messed that up. Surely you wouldn't welcome me now. Jesus would say, why do you think I had to go to the cross in the first place? I went because of your guilt. I went because of your shame, because my love for you is greater than your guilt and your shame. But you see, that's what Easter is all about. Christianity is built upon this idea that if God never did another thing for me, and by the way, he does a million things for me that I'm aware of or not aware of, but even if he never did another thing for me, I would never have to doubt that he loved me. Because he's answered that in Jesus. But here's the second thing, that if he knew and he chose, here's the second thing that's true, and that means that human history moves according to the plan of God. Human history moves according to the plan of God. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, right now, there's a conspiracy against me. Judas hasn't even decided yet. And Jesus says, here's what's going to happen. One of you is going to betray me, right? One, one of you, the Romans and, and the Jewish leaders and, and, and my own dissatisfaction, the dissatisfaction of one of my disciples is going to all congeal in a conspiracy to bring me down. And it's going to work. And they're going to take me and they're going to kill me. And he says, but it's okay. That's the plan. That's been the plan. And it's going to result in my victory, and in my resurrection. Listen, here's what this is teaching us. The world is a scary place. And oftentimes, it feels as though it's going off the rails. Political forces, social forces, natural, biological forces. You look at the world and you think, it's chaos. It's random. It's meaningless. And yet Jesus is saying, I know it seems that way, but it isn't. I know the Roman government thinks they have their plan to keep and to quell a Jewish uprising. I know the Jewish leaders have their plan to consolidate their power. Judas, I know you have your plan to try to make a little money on the way out of what you think is a failed attempt to bring freedom to the Jewish people. I know you all have your plan, but I want you to understand something. There is one plan that swallows all of that up, and it's mine. Human history moves according to the plan 
of God. Please hear me on this because in the last two or three years, I've seen families being ripped apart by belief in conspiracy theories online. This half of the family believes them. This half of the family doesn't. This half of the family thinks the other half is crazy. This half thinks the other one needs to wake up and realize what's really going on. And here's what I'm telling you. Whether the conspiracy theory that's keeping you up at night is true or not, God is in control. The conspiracy theories of Jesus' day were real. And all they did was bring about the conclusion that God wanted. Human history moves according to the plan of God. And if your conspiracy theory gets so big that even God can't stop it, you don't have a political problem, you have a theological problem. Jesus tells them, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And it's not rattling me. In fact, I'm moving towards it because it will only lead to the outcome that I want. You see, the cross proves that God loves us. It proves that human history moves according to his plan. But here's the third thing it proves, and this might be the most meaningful thing, is that even when it seems like he doesn't love us, and even when it seems like he isn't in control, he really is. Even when it seems like the first two aren't true, they really are. Why is Jesus telling the disciples? This is like the worst pregame speech ever. Hey, guys. I've seen the other team. I've watched them on film. We have zero chance against them. They are going to murder us. And I don't even mean that figuratively. We have zero chance. Okay, that is the worst speech ever. You see, he isn't giving them a speech to fire them up and inspire them so that they can avoid the outcome. He is telling them so that in their lowest moment, in their darkest moment, when it feels as though the world is coming unglued and this guy that they thought was the son of God is being arrested and beaten and mocked and ridiculed and murdered. And on Saturday, when he lays dead, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this so that you know, even when it seems like God doesn't love you, even when it seems like he isn't paying attention, even when it seems like he's not in control, he absolutely Absolutely, unequivocally is. I want you to hear that. Isn't it okay to say to God, where are you? What are you doing? Don't you see? Don't you care? It feels like you've forgotten me. I know some of you are like, I don't think it is okay. Well, someone should tell the book of Psalms. We're going to spend a lot of time in Psalms this summer. And we're going to learn it's okay to share our hearts with God, even when our hearts are doubting, even when our hearts are negative, maybe even especially then. But what Jesus is saying is when you feel that way, say that, share it with God. He loves you enough to hear it, but the things you're worried about won't be true. Listen, Easter should remind us that we should be courageous people. We should be people not ruled by worry or fear or anxiety. Not because we're so great, we're so strong, but because God has proven that even when the world conspires against him and does the worst thing that's ever been done, the murder of God's own son, God is simply doing the best thing that's ever been done, rescuing sinners through the blood of his murdered son. 
Easter is an invitation for you and I to stop being so afraid. To stop feeling so lonely. To stop feeling forgotten. Not by telling ourselves, stop it, stop it, stop it. But by looking at the fixed point in human history that is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The one he told us would happen. The one he chose to have happen. To show us that we are loved, that he's in control, and that even when it doesn't seem like those things are true, they absolutely are. Let me pray for us. Father God, every time we study the Bible, I'm just struck by your love for us. These three verses, you don't need them to tell the story. But Jesus, you stopped to say these things so that the disciples and so that us, reading thousands of years later, would know that you knew and that you chose and that you were in control because you know we need to hear those things. That we doubt those things. The Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take what we've heard and bury it in our hearts and our minds. We, we confess, we believe, help our unbelief. Rescue us from fear, rescue us from anxiety, rescue us from worried about who's planning what, in what secret room. There are no secret rooms before you. Convince us yet again, God, for your glory and for our good, that you are in control. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.